Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What's up, you guys? How is everyone doing? I mean, should I even ask? It's been, what, weeks, maybe months? Uh, this is Brian Sumner with the Foolishness Podcast, guys. We are jumping into episode 52. And by that, what do I mean? Well, you probably chimed into Pete Cropsey, his second part, and the last episode you heard. And pretty much after that, what was going on? Well, first, a quick update. Our house had flooded, if you remember. So we were out for six weeks. My wife had gotten skin cancer. I was still doing a bit of travel. We're in a hotel. Life's crazy. We're excited to get back into the house. How ironic. We managed to get back into the house with the floors redone, uh, all the drywall, all the molding. I was up and down all night painting and helping and being the handyman, which I have no idea what to do. And then the coronavirus. We're out the house for six weeks, then we're stuck in the house for what, the last month or so? And the end is not in sight. We don't see what's happening. There's new updates. Some of you guys are getting freaked out. Some of you are getting anxious. Some of you have fear. I want to just speak into that in a moment. But guys, I just want to tell you all, uh, thank you for listening. I've had so many new guests, even the past few weeks, man. We just found the podcast and you had this person on or this situation related to us and our marriage and our stress or whatever it is. I just want to say, God bless you guys who are listening. I hope God's word is penetrating your hearts. Your hearing is truth. And I say that because, guys, please listen to me. If I get to in some way and be a voice, a mouthpiece to you today, right now, to the Christian, listen to me. Not one thing has changed about our faith. When Jesus called us to follow him, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. All he's called us to do is to have faith and to trust and not one thing has changed. I get up, what, six weeks ago, and I'm called to have faith. I get up six years ago, I'm called to have faith. I get up today, I'm just called to have faith. I'm called to trust God in heaven, whatever takes place on the earth, because here's how I'm viewing all this. Regardless what's going on, I don't know. People keep saying everything's going to be good, everything's going to be fine, guys. We don't know that. We don't know what's going on. Everyone's saying it could be really bad. This is what's going to take place, guys. We're not God. We don't know that. We don't need to know that or God would have told us. And then some people say, hey, this is the beast system. I get it. There's a world that we live in. It's crazy. It's upside down. We know that Satan, the Satan, the adversary is opposed to us. But also, God is on the throne. Jesus is seated beside him and he is seated beside him. He's not standing. He's not freaking out. He's not in shock. In fact, Jesus himself, was set apart from God. How? Well, from man, but spent time with God for 40 days in the wilderness. He knows what this is like. And I'm saying all of that to say, as Christians, people are watching us. They're considering us. What does it look like for my Christian brothers and sisters? But guys, here's the reality. God is still there providing the fish and the loaves for us. There's still 12 baskets set apart for us. Notice he called us in that day, in that passage, to feed everyone else. And when the disciples came back, it was still enough. God still has provision for me today and for you today until his time is, our time is up. But guys, we're going to jump into a sermon here. 
out of Hosea that I spoke a few weeks ago at my home church of branches. Jump into it. It's something that our church was going through, and it really should encourage you how you know that you know the Lord, how you know there's a conviction, how you know that the Father has you. And moving forward, it'll start in a moment, but guys, I want to just thank you, those who are personal partners who partner with this ministry. I'm about to launch these daily devotions on the YouTube. A lot of them will make it on the podcast. I'm about to get some software to interview a lot, a lot of people. There were so many people that were meant to be on that we had to put off. So I'm going to pick that up in the next few days. We'll get the episodes going. Thank you to the partners. And as you know, this is full time for me. Normally, the traveling ministry, all the calendar dates have been put on hold. So now it's a lot of local ministry uh, through media, connecting with people, being loved on, loving on them. So, guys, I just want to say trust in him. And we know tomorrow is not promised that today is the day of salvation. And as we pick up this cross, think about it. What an opportunity to live at this time. Lift up Jesus, shining the light, be willing to step wherever he has called us. Is there anything greater? I want to just finish that thought with saying simply glory. God, be glorified. Thank you for your son. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for setting our life before us when you could have discarded us. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you guys. Love you all. Be praying. Hit me up with any concerns as well. Personal prayer requests. Go over to the website, briansumner.net. Check out the YouTube. See you guys soon. (laughs) But guys, you excited for Hosea? You do know it's pretty much every chapter is almost the same. Like, you guys are bad. God is good. Learn to listen. So as we jump into this today, I'm going to pull out of it some different things. But let's pray. God, you're so good. You're so faithful. I love even what Andrew just affirmed. The words of Jesus that it's about your word. And this is a time where we stop and we say, let the word of God speak. Because, Lord, this is what holds us accountable to. Holy Spirit, this is the way you gave it, even through the Old Testament and into the New. And you are who will speak today. Speak to hearts, to your sons and daughters, Lord, where things are broken, shaken, upside down. Minister. And God, where there's pride and feelings of self and this resting in the things of this world, God, minister to that too. Lord, we invite you here as we know you're already present. But God, speak, move, and teach. In Jesus' name we pray and say... Amen. Guys, if you have your Bibles, Hosea 10, if you need one, raise up your hand. You'll be receiving a gift of a Bible any minute. And so where are we going today? Well, last week, Pastor Andrew took us through Hosea 9. He unpacked this analogy, this story of them as the grapevines and of Israel. And what's the theme? If you remember anything, it's simple. It's that Israel has been sowing in sin for centuries. They have been habitually, without repentance, living in sin. And God is about to arrive in their time and space and shake things up. And one of the things you need to know about every sermon in Hosea that every preacher has said is that it's not all personal to you. You can't take everything said and said, how does this apply to me? There's times of Levitical priests in the Old Testament. There's times of different covenants. But what I want to try and do today is take the overall picture of maybe what you will think, how does Hosea apply to me, and bring it into modern day. And by that I mean 
How do we wrestle with sin? How do we juggle through this journey? I mean, by now, if you follow the Old Testament, you're familiar with the idea that God speaks in pictures. He speaks in tones. I mean, he's speaking to Hosea. And what is the theme of the book? That God tells this poor man, Hosea, amen, go and marry this prostitute. Go and begin a life with this woman. And she continually pursues others. And there's adultery. And as she goes, what does God tell him? Pursue her and pursue her and pursue her. Go and purchase her. Bring her back. Why? Because it's all a picture of Israel. It's a picture of Israel in a harlotry as she's out chasing the world and idols and all sorts of things. And the crazy part about this is they've been doing this for 200 years. These are the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And for 200 years, they've been living like this. For nine dynasties, they've been living in this sin. And here's why it's sad. Because amazingly, none of them think they're going astray. None of them think that God isn't on the side. None of them think of the God of their fathers. And why is that? It's a trap. It's a trap for you and me. It's a trap especially where we live. Do you know why they think everything is good? Because they're prospering. Because they are wealthy. Because most of them, history would say, have two homes. They're living in Newport by the beach. They've got every color car. They're able to do whatever they want. They're the kind of people the rest of the world would say, that is how we should live. And none of that's wrong. Amen? God isn't opposed to success and your business and thriving. He uses men and women like you for the kingdom. But the danger is, though they have his name, their hearts are what? Far from him. Their hearts are far from him. And I would be a fool not to line this up with one of the New Testament books in a sense. And as soon as I say it, you'll see where we're going. But you only need to think about Jesus' words to the churches in Revelation. How Jesus speaks through the prophet John on the Isle of Patmos to the seven churches. And in particular, the church of Laodicea. What does he say? In Revelation 3, he tells them, guys, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot or what? cold and we know this outside the city on the way on your travels was the hot springs was the cold pools and you could go and frolic in the cold pools on a hot day or you could enjoy the hot springs but as soon as they merged together if you were to drink of this water what would you do you would spit it out and Jesus is saying to the church not unbelievers guys this is how you're living and he says this exactly like God's going to tell Hosea he says in Revelation 3 that you say you are rich. You say you have grown wealthy. And wealth is not a bad thing. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But you're saying you need nothing. But what you do not realize is that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Amen. How is that for the modern progressive preaching of saying God is just a God of love? He is. But you know what? Sometimes Brian needs to hear, Brian, you're pretty poor right now. You don't really care about me. You don't really care about my presence. You don't really care about my identity. But what he's saying is, guys, you are poor. And the idea is that Hosea, they're prospering. There's wealth. Things are good. In Laodicea, but actually spiritually, what are they? They're desolate. That famous saying that some people are so poor, all they have is what? Money. That's the extent of someone's riches. And money is a good thing. It's a neutral thing. Everything in life is neutral. Redeem it for the Lord. Amen. Make more money. Send more missionaries. Build more churches and orphanages. Go for it. Use the money. It's better than storing it up in things like, sadly, a lot of ministries do. 
what good is this millions of dollars into this if it doesn't further the gospel? And so as we hear this, back to Hosea 10, God is summarizing their journey. And we're going to begin in Hosea 10 and 1. Remember, his main problem is, guys, you're thanking the idols. You're worshiping yourselves. You're all about you. I am nowhere in your heart. And he says this, Hosea 10 and 1, then we'll recap a load of these verses. He says, Hosea 10 1, Israel was a spreading vine, and he brought forth fruit for himself, meaning he prospered. And his fruit increased, so he built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones. Their heart is deceitful, and now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. Verse 3 says, Then they will say, We have no king because we did not revere the Lord. But even if we had a king, what could he do for us? They make many promises, take false oaths. They make agreements, and so lawsuits spring up like poisonous weeds in a plow field. The people who live in Samaria fear for the calf idol of Beth Avon. Its people will mourn over it, and so will its idolatrous priests. Those who had rejoiced over its splendor because it had taken them into exile. It will be carried away to Assyria as tribute to the great great king. And he says, Ephraim will be disgraced. Israel will be ashamed of its foreign alliances. Samaria's king will be destroyed, swept away like a twig on the surface of the waters. The high places of wickedness will be destroyed. It's the sin of Israel. Thorns and thistles will grow up and cover their altars. Then they will say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills fall on us. Since the days of Gabeah you have not sinned, Israel, and there you have remained. Will you not war again overtake the evildoers in Gibeah? When I please, says the Lord, I will punish them. Nations will be gathered against them that put them in bonds for their double sin. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh, so I'll put a yoke on her fair neck. I will drive Ephraim, Judah must plow, and Jacob must break up the ground. He says in verse 12, Sow righteousness then for yourselves and reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up the unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness upon you. But you've planted wickedness. You've reaped evil. You've eaten the fruit of deception because you've depended upon your own strength and your many warriors. The roar of battle will rise against you so that all of your fortresses will be devastated. And Shalman devastated Batharel on the day of the battle when mothers were dashed to the ground with their children. Verse 15, to bring it together, he says, So it will happen to you, Bethel, because your wickedness is great. When the day dawns, the king of Israel will be completely destroyed. There's so many things we can unpack, but because we're in Hosea, most of you understand what's going on. Israel has just been worshiping everything else, thriving in everything else. And God says, I'm about to break down some stuff. But notice what God does. God starts off by letting you know he did call Israel to prosper. He told them clearly in verse 1 that Israel was like a spreading vine and that he bore fruit forth for himself. He was prospering like was good. But what does he tell you right away? This is the heart of problem. The heart of the problem is as soon as he prospered, he says in verse 1, as his fruit increased, he built more altars as his land prospered. And he adorned his, his sacred stones. What's wrong with building altars? Nothing. 
but they're meant to be to the Lord. And as Israel grew, as we grew in Huntington Beach, as the churches went out, as we grow forth and forth, we began to invite whatever into the congregation and the altars became about other gods. And even the stones we were able to purchase, even the accolades or achievement, we began to summarize them to other things. And God is showing up and saying, guys, you're far from me. What is it you're doing with your hearts? And this may sound so foreign, but if you've watched any of the ceremonies over the past, what, three months? Any of the end of the year ceremonies of the celebrities or the sports stars, what do we see consistently? I remember hearing of this when I first came to faith, pastors preaching. That time and time and time again we see within culture, superstar after superstar living whatever kind of life, and then when they hold a trophy, they say, thanks God. Even the Super Bowl, some of the crazy ceremony, the things that were hidden in there, when they were done, one of the singers and dancers just said, I just want to live my life unto the Lord. The idea is you want to thank God for the things he's doing for me. If I win the fight, if I get the check, if things are good, God, you are good. But really those things are not submitted unto the Lord for this purpose. Amen. The nation is living like this. They want God's benefits, but there's no accountability. And here's why it's lost on us. Because if you tell a Jew, I'm a Christian, they'll say, show me. If you say to a Jew, this is what I believe, they say, prove it. They don't look at what you say, they look at what you do. And even Jesus flipped it on them when he said, do as they say, not what they what? Do. If you walked into Israel, Hosea's day, you wouldn't know who they worshipped. All kinds of idolatry, all kinds of things going forward. And so he says to them in verse 2, their heart is deceitful and now they must bear their guilt. The Lord shall demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. Is this new to Israel? Is this new to the text or no? You guys got to realize this, right? The Bible could have been so much shorter. Could. Israel never had to rebel, never had to fall in sin, never had to go into 400 years of exile. None of these things never had to happen. It's man's nature. I get it. We fell. But what's taken place here is that this continues going on over and over, century and century, century. I mean, King Solomon, supposedly the wisest guy that ever lived, right? Slept with everyone, had a serious, you know what, addiction. Did he use that wisdom? No, never used that wisdom. Never submitted to the Lord. When the city was thriving, there was gold everywhere. This tiny city of Jerusalem thriving. And what did they do? Idolatry. He led all the nation in sin. What did they do in Ezekiel's day? What are they in Jeremiah's day? Think about Elijah. Here's Elijah, a man of God. There's 850 prophets to King Ahab and Jezebel, and they're bowing down to Asherah poles, all kind of orgies and sexual sin. And Elijah shows up and says, What? Whom are you going to serve, Israel? Choose for yourselves this day. Whom are you going to serve? If Baal is God, worship him. But if Yahweh is God, worship him. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Are you awake yet? As he's saying this to them, he builds two altars. He says, guys, let's have a face-off. God's down for a good fight, even though he gets the victory. Amen. And all the prophets gather around, start a fire, nothing happens. And literally, Elijah begins mocking them. Elijah calls down fire, and what happens? Shows up, consumes a sacrifice. All these prophets are slain. This has been going on time and time again, and it might sound radical if you just showed up to church for the first time. Welcome. Amen. But the idea is, just like you and I at times, we can live double-minded. 
Just like you and I, I mean, the book of Romans does not tell us that we're double-minded in a sense where we have the flesh and we have the spirit. What are you speaking into and what is speaking into you? This is what he's saying to them. He's saying, where is your altar? Where do you find your peace? Where do you find your strength? And he's going to unpack this, even as James says, not to be double-minded. You see, Elijah calls down the fire. It is settled. It is dealt with. And if someone walking here today that wasn't a believer, they'd say, man, well, this doesn't sound like a loving God. We want God to be loving, but we don't want God to be just. Amen. The world wants us to be able to pick our religion, pick our sin, pick our reality, do whatever, and God better be fine with it. And if there's one thing Hosea says, he says, no, this is not what's best for you. These false gods are not best for you. Focusing on prosperity more than me, or this addiction, or this form of pride. No, Israel, this is not what I have for you. What I have for you is what? To follow me. How many of you guys know God's name is Jealous? And he's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. He's your father. He loves you. He, know, he knows what's best. And I'm going to read through a bit, and we'll unpack. I love this part, and what he says in verse 3. He says, what Israel will say when they see this, they'll say, we have no king because we did not revere or fear the Lord. Even if we had a king, listen to this, what could he do for us? How amazing that while he's challenged them, they said, we don't fear God. And even if we did, what is someone going to do for us? Think about that kind of security. They don't even really understand who the God of their fathers is. And here they are calling out God. You know what that means for us today? It means is any person really alive qualified to pick who should be a leader or not? Don't you think I'd pick a leader based on my convictions that I would think are godly? Are they all? Think about the state of the nation right now. The president, whether you voted or not, whatever state we're in, do you think everyone's really picking a leader based on the word of God? In some senses. But even this can become our comfort. If Donald Trump does or doesn't remain in the office, some people are going to freak out. Is that how God wants me to live as a Christian? Does he want me to trust in the world's strength? God's in charge of it all. Amen. I better have a deeper faith than that or if not, what do I even think happened on that cross? Amen. The blood was applied. God's got it covered. It's all good. But the point is, we can live in a way where I have friends who are focused more on politics and policies than what? Purpose. More on what God has. More on their own comfort than what? Conviction. And the thing that's amazing, and I'm saying all this because Hosea is about prosperity. Isn't it ironic that when you hold a dollar bill, the very thing that God says you can't save two masters, God or mammon, that it's literally money, it's the thing we slave over, it's building more bricks in Israel's day, yet right there on that piece of paper it says, in who do we trust? This was where they were. Every day, billions of people today, this currency in God, and God, and God, and God, I never even thought about it until I became a believer. What God were the forefathers speaking about? Of course we'll say the Christian God, but when most people hold the money, where is their heart? Do I really look at that as if I trust God with my money? Do I really look at that as if I trust God with all the things he's doing within branches, within my marriage, within my body? It's going to shut down one day, amen? Everything perishes this side of eternity. What kind of faith should I have? And why am I saying this? Because it's funny, about three and a half weeks ago, I was about to go to bed and my wife was putting the kids to bed, finally, early, one of the first times in her life, amen? When you homeschool, that's kind of what happens. 
And I just felt the urge to pray for her in a way that was like, babe, I just feel like we need to pray to just release any kind of control. And it was not about anything. There wasn't a situation. There was no whatever. It was just like the Lord laid on me. And I don't do that with her. We just pray. Pray into the day. Pray what's happened. A lot of days we don't. Don't think I'm holier than now. Amen. Life gets busy. But the prayer was, I pray for you, babe, that you would just release any control. You don't control your body. God could do what he wants with our home. He could send us where we want. And so the next day, what do you think happens? I'm down at the beach and Pastor Andrew's preaching at a likewise fellowship thing and I'm leaving and all's good and I get a call from my wife. Babe, don't be bummed out. My dad came over and was working on the bathroom and the bathroom exploded and the water's all over the wall and all the house flooded and now the insurance company comes over and there's asbestos in one of the rooms and we've been out the house for three weeks, amen? Life's been crazy. And the same day we get a call, oh yeah, and your wife, who doesn't even drink coffee, won't even drink kombucha, won't even take pills, finds out she has skin cancer, and we've got to go get it removed right away. Amen? I know it's mellow and it's easy, but for us, after praying that prayer, my wife, jokingly and kind of not, says, why would you pray that prayer over me? (laughs) Well, the point is, if God's sovereign and knows the head of the home, babe, we don't have control of your body. We don't have control of the house. We're hopefully in this week, but heaven forbid, God, don't let it happen. The house will go on fire next week. Who knows? Amen. I'm not preaching in Hosea if that happens, okay? But the reality is, who do you really put your control in? Is it in God that you trust? Is it the dollar? Is it your situation? Is it your job? Is it your spouse? Is it you? Or the certain things, because I'll tell you, the older we get, the generation below, there's more and more and more fear. And as this happens, what God is saying is, guys, in verse 5, I'm going to tear down this calf idol of Beth Avon. And when I tear it down, you know what you're going to do? I'm summarizing. You're going to mourn over it. When I destroy this calf that you've been worshiping, when I break it into pieces, you are going to mourn. And think about how sad this is. These are God's people who for generations have heard of the works of God. The first five books of the Bible, what he did with Abraham, and here they are mourning over something that doesn't even matter. This is not a small deal either. This is like going into Mecca today, breaking open the Kaaba. What would happen around the world? Muslims would freak out. You would have World War III. There would be bloodshed. People would get crazy. It would be all over the news. And the reality is, this isn't just a verse or a sermon. This is the people's heart. They're really bound to these idols. They're really bound to these things. And the amazing things is, bless you. As I stopped and thought about this, I thought, Lord, is there anything in my life that really comes close to what God did for me? Is there anything you can think of for a moment? Don't put your hand up. The answer is no. Amen. But is there anything in life, in all of time, that comes close to what God did when he looked at me, when he looked at you, before you were born and said, I know they're going to be born a sinner. I know they're going to be born not pursuing me. I know they're going to be born having no concern for me. Imagine if my three kids, as crazy or as amazing as they can be on days, if they wanted nothing to do with me, that's how we were coming into this world. Then we have our bitterness. Then we have our hatred. Then we have our unforgiveness. Then we have our issues. Then we have our sin. And yet God, while we were still sinners, what did he do? Sent Christ to die for us. This is how God was loving them. They didn't get Christ yet. They didn't understand it yet. But this was the kind of love he was speaking and they missed it. And so it makes me think in the midst of a house upside down on my wife, God, I know that you love me. 
Makes me think getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, coming to preach Hosea, God, I know that you love me. And what he does is he tells these people that what you need to tear down is these idols. These idols, because what's happened is sin has came in. And here's the idea. I can talk about sin a lot, and you have a variation of what you think sin is. We all know it's missing the mark, but how does sin play out in your life? What does sin actually do? See, it's been taking hold of them for 200 years. So let's say you're someone that sits with me this week and says, Brian, I've just been dealt with sin. I don't know how to handle this. What does sin actually look like in our lives? And don't go there for lack of time, but here's what James 1 tells us. It says in verse 14 that each person, that's us. Is there anyone, by the way, who doesn't wrestle with sin? Let's just go there. Get quiet really early morning. But guys, no one is above the flesh. We have the spirit. You are going to wrestle daily. It never stops. He says each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it then gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. So how does sin work? I begin to desire it. And then my mind begins to conceive how I can step into it. I can go behind someone's back. I can do something that's wrong. And then finally, I give birth to it and I step into the action. Satan never made them sin. They chose that themselves. Even the Bible says of Eve, when she saw that the tree was good, she could have seen it and not gone near it, but she saw it and the idea was birth and she went into it. And the point is we hear Isaiah and we say, well, they're the ones in sin. Well, what about our sin? What about if you're someone that is being enslaved to your sin? You're constantly condemning yourself. You constantly feel guilty every time you walk into church. How do we handle this? I mean, he says in that verse, don't be deceived, don't fall into it. Jesus gives us those prayers, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from what? Evil. If you're someone that's wrestling with sin, one of the verses that helped me early on was this verse in Hebrews 4. Where it tells us to go to God before we sin, not just after. His grace and mercy is renewed every day. And the church said, Amen. But listen to what Hebrews said to the young man or woman that's wrestling with that sin or to wherever you're at, things bombarding your life. He says, Church, we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. That doesn't mean Jesus wanted to sin. His nature, the Sark's nature, is different. He never wanted to punch someone. He never wanted to swear. Never wanted to do this. That was not Jesus. But he knows what it's like for us. But he says, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And then he says in verse 16, So then, or what we should do is, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in what? Our time of need. I'll tell you, the longer I've walked with God, the more I've seen people when they preach sermons on sin and repentance. I've seen the people in ministry or the people walking with the Lord be the first ones to respond. Why? Because they've drawn that much closer to God. They've realized, I want, I want victory over all the struggles. They're going to keep coming, but Lord, what? The goodness of the Lord leads us to repentance. There's this shame in church where the moment you sin, I mean, think about it. Did my son come to me one day and said, Dad, I sinned. Okay, you're not a Christian anymore. Is that what your theology is? No. You do one wrong thing? No. The idea is that we need to take that and bring it to the Lord, bring it to people and say, Lord, we need your help. We need your strength. We need to get us through this. Why? 
Because there's a difference in living in habitual sin and thriving in it, and you couldn't care less like they are in Hosea. But that's very different than wanting victory, than pressing in and getting help from men and women around you, than sitting in the Word of God and filling it up. Some of you are sitting here, I've met with men, different people. I feel so ashamed, I feel guilty. Bring it to the Lord. Don't condemn yourself. Conviction is good. Are you in the faith one minute, out the next? Is Christianity bipolar? No. Either you're washed in the blood of Jesus and you've been secure and there's now no condemnation, Romans 8.1 or not. Amen. I don't want to have a church where we're moving forward or growing in seasons. We finish Hosea and we say, man, they never repented and God calls us every day, Lord. Help us to grow in the things of you. And so as God continues blessing them, look at what he says. They fled into idolatry. And he says in verse 8, we'll jump through a few things to catch up real quick. But he says, these high places of wickedness, the things that you worship, I'm going to destroy them. You see the high places when Joshua was sent in the land, he was meant to destroy them all, but not all of them were destroyed. And they were these wooden beams and they were shaped in phallic images, which is crazy. And they would worship them as though they represented the god Osiris in Egyptian culture. And then the moon or the dome that you see all over the place in different faiths, that represents the female body or fertility. So God's own people, Israel, are worshiping these objects, asking for more children, asking for more blessing, asking for fertility. And you say, who would do this? Have you guys ever seen the Washington Monument? You know what it is? It's an obelisk. You know what it is? You ever seen the one in Rome? You ever seen the one off the 73? You ever seen the one at Fashion Island? You ever studied cultures around the world? You ever studied the history of where things were from Egypt? Millions of dollars to transport them? We think this doesn't exist today, and it fully does. Satan is at work. There's pagan gods all around us in culture. And we're saying, where is this? And when they realize this, they're going to say, let the mountains fall on me. Let them destroy me. Why? Because they realize what they've been following. And then God in verse 9 tells them, since the days of Gebeah, you have sinned, Israel. But there you've remained. You see, what's amazing is Israel at that time when there was this crazy sin that took place through Benjamin... The rest of the tribes came alongside and they held him accountable and they punished him and they said, stop. And what's amazing is that in our faith, when we struggle with sin and we wrestle, you know what we need? We need accountability. We need people to come and speak into us and lead us. And you say, well, Brian, does that sound like God? Yes. In Revelation 3, where we just said, he said, guys, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. You're talking about their faith. He's talking about the way they're walking and trusting in him. But you know what he says there in Revelation 3.10 into 19? He says, as many as I love, those I love, I rebuke and discipline. As many as I love, if you're loved by God, there's going to be times when he comes to you, he challenges you, he rebukes you, he disciplines you through a preacher, through the word of God, through a person, through conviction. Amen. This is what Hosea's crowd didn't respond to. But here's what he says in Revelation. Remember. He's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to the church. He says, I love and rebuke you. And in discipline, I'm going to lead you. And he says this. So be earnest and repent. He says, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. And we always ascribe this to a salvation message to the world. And sure, that's true. But this is to the church. He says, if anyone hears my voice and you have to get this, if you wrestle with sin and you condemn yourself, stop doing it. That is not of God. 
your heavenly father loves you and he will help you overcome in struggling times amen he says if anyone hears my voice do you hear him his sheep do if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come in eat with that person and they with me what is he saying when you come to me in your season of struggle when you come to me unlike those in hosea did the door is open and I will come in and dine with you. What is the highest form of respect in the Old Testament? Dining with someone. If you think you're friends with everyone, invite those people over. The people you can't invite over, you're probably not very friendly or loving to. Amen? God is saying, though you've sinned, as soon as you call on me, I'm right there and the fellowship is on. No matter what you've done, where you've been, the blood of Jesus is bigger than that. And here's why I want you to get this. If you think about the whole story of the Bible, what's the picture? It's redemption. Let's just pick a children's book for a moment, you know, with a story of maybe Noah, right? Woke my kids up the other day with that song, you know, God told Noah to build him what? An arky, arky, way to go. You sound as bad as I do. But this is this kid's story, right? And then God wiped out the world, right? It's radical. And atheists love to say, well, look what how wicked God was. They leave out that the Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And for a hundred years, he told the world, don't live like this. This is who God is. He loves us. Step into this. Get on the ark with me. But they didn't. And so the well was flooded. And what did God do? The Bible says that God remembered, which doesn't mean God forgets because he never does unless he chooses to. It means he put his focus on Noah and he came to Noah and what did he say? And this is to you and me when you struggle. He says, Noah, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And it's funny because in this passage he uses the term covenant seven times. He says it over and over and over. It's a, it's a breed. It's called a chiasm in the Hebrew. It's hidden so you see it. This is the central part. It's about a covenant. And guys, what was the covenant that God gave to Noah? It was what? A rainbow. But in the Hebrew, it doesn't say rain. It just says bow. And Hebrew scholars would say the bow is pointed towards who? God. And if you were to take a bow and arrow and shoot the arrow, which way does it go? Away from the earth. And Hebrew scholars would say what God is saying is I will never bring destruction on the earth again in the form of water. And what God did there was he set this in place. Then he made a covenant. And he's the higher power. And man is the fallen creature, and God chooses to make this covenant. And in that day and age, the way they would set it up between two unequal parties, you would have the higher, more powerful, dominant one called the suzerain. This is the Hebrew covenant. And then you would have the lower one in need called the vassal. And when that vassal went out, that's man, and he encountered danger or chaos or whatever, he could show them a rock or an emblem or a symbol almost like the kings and the knights, and it meant they were untouchable. But the suzerain would have to give the man this symbol. But see, God didn't give it to man, because what would man do? We'd make idols out of it. Actually, people have gone crazy with the rainbow nowadays. Amen? We could have gone into that, but here's the reality. This is God's covenant. What God did was he didn't give it to man. God himself, every time it rains, chooses to tell us, I will never, ever, ever flood the earth. And how many of you guys believe that? But do you really believe and trust in God when your wife gets diagnosed with something or you've been in a hotel for three and a half, four weeks that you really trust Jesus with every other part of your life or not? Because the rainbow is an amazing covenant, don't get me wrong. But what covenant is greater than that? The one where you understood your sin, the one where Jesus died and resurrected, and the one where God 
put who inside of you? The Holy Spirit. If I can trust that the earth will never flood, if I can trust that God is faithful and that he was calling Hosea to repentance to trust in him, then I should be able to trust the words of Paul in Ephesians 1.13 when he says, to me, it's to me, it's to you, it's to believers. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. This is a covenant terminology. The promised Holy Spirit. He, the person of the Holy Spirit, not an it, a thing, is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. If you've been forgiven in Christ, you will bear fruit. You will struggle with seasons of sin. You will feel shamed and the enemy loves to make you thrive in that and go back to this and back to that and feel the outcast. That's not Christianity. Jesus called him Abba so we could. And when you struggle, get around people, press in. But here's the crazy thing. If I believe in that rainbow and what God said, if I can trust in those Hebrew scholars and the ideas and what I know the Old Testament says, can I really trust God with every part of my life? Because the reality is, They didn't repent, but they actually trusted in the other nations. They trusted in those at war. They trusted in the soldiers. They trusted in the chariots. And God said, okay, you want to trust in all this stuff? I'm going to allow it all to fall on you. And when we talk about sin, do you know why sin is dangerous for you and me? Is that whenever a good thing becomes a God thing, it gets dangerous in your life. Prosperity is a good thing used for the things of God. But when it becomes God, it's dangerous. Marriage can do that. Children can do that. Preaching can do that. Everything can do that. And what God is telling them is you're praising everything else. You're looking to yourself. So I'm going to call it to fall in upon you. And look at what he says. He says in verse 13, you've planted wickedness and so you've reaped evil. You've eaten the fruit of deception, which means you're trusting in everything else. Because you depended on your own strength and your many what? Warriors. They speak to the mountain, but then they go and move it. They asked to walk on the water, but they get out and think it's in their own strength. Peter tried to do that, and what happened? He fell. You know why some of you guys are worn out? Because you're still depending upon your own strength. You're still putting it in your mind, and your gifting, and your ability. You know what? I don't know when I'm getting in the house. You might say, bro, get over it. It's a house. I get it. It's not a big deal, but it works in the sermon to someone. Amen? But the idea is this. Who are we really trusting in? Because Israel did not trust in God. His big issue wasn't really their sin. It's that they really weren't focused on him. And you've got to see the difference of that. It's not that you sin. It's that you don't have Christ. That's the gospel. That he is good enough. That he makes himself available enough. That he chose to do this for us. And as he goes on, he says, sadly in verse 15, and we'll close and pray. He says, so here's what's going to happen, guys. Here's what's going to take place to you, Bethel, which is the house of God. Here's what's going to happen because your wickedness is great. When the day dawns, the king of Israel will be completely destroyed. This happened in 722 BC. And what took place was the nation was torn apart. Many repented and turned and fled to the north or the south, but many were captured and enslaved. And you know how radical this is? How the enemy works? is he chose to take the Hebrew slaves and he put them with all the other nations and they were from where? Samaria. The Assyrians sent them out. And what do you take when you get Hebrews and mix them with another nation? You get half Jews, half Hebrews. When you get to the Old Testament, you hear the story of the good what? Samaritan. Hated by the Jews. This is where it comes from. 
You see, in your life, God will help you and lead you out of sin. But let me tell you this. When you sin, there will still be death. If I have an affair, I may get divorced. If I punch someone in the face, I better repent and duck really quick. Amen? If you choose to walk in sin, there will be consequences. But here's the thing. We need to be able to be more open and say, Lord, what are my idols? What are my strengths? I want to get to be 50, 60 and say, Lord, I don't depend on myself for anything. I use the mind you give me. I use the craft you've created me to walk in. I want to thrive in all those things. But God, really, it comes down to you. And here's the thing. That's the kind of peace God wanted Adam to have. Noah to have, Abraham to have. And if there's one thing the enemy is doing well in the church in America, he's fighting so hard to steal your peace so it all collapses on one another. Amen? Even the recent conversations that are moving us towards things forthcoming that will be based on the scriptures, we're like, okay, Lord. And then we're challenged by so many things. I say, God, I trust in what you're doing. I see that rainbow now. Okay, Lord, I get it. I believe I'll be in the house someday. Where was the couch again? Amen? But I look at Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so here's the thing that's hard for someone like me preaching a message like this that has kind of been the same sermon for three weeks. Where do we respond? Do we make it heavy and emotional and say, everyone, come up forward and bring your sins and look at how good God is. And I'll tell you, here's how I would respond. I would hear this and I would probably sit in the chair for a minute or so and say, Lord, how am I as a dad? How am I as a husband? What do I trust in? Is my business set apart to you? How do I use what's in my hand? And it sounds great saying it. I'd feel it all inside. And I go, Lord, I just want to sit with you for a moment and say, God, convict me where maybe I don't trust you. Maybe convict me of real sin. Maybe there's pride. Maybe there's unforgiveness. Maybe there's radical things. And, and maybe you want to tell someone today. Maybe you want to confess that. But what I want to do is I want us just to take a moment or two just to sit with the Lord under the teaching to respond in our seats and then as we get to that place, then I want us to be able to sing and worship and praise like he's the God of the rainbow, amen? Like he's the God who put the deposit in you. And I don't know what you're facing, but God does. And he is for us in the midst of it. Let's just bow our heads for a moment and I want to pray. And if you need prayer for anything, family-related, business, it could seem so mundane. We always want to pray for you. There will be people at these crosses as soon as you go, go there. If you want to sit and leave things there before the Lord. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus and you said, I'd never really realized my sin distanced me this far. Well, it did. We were born separated from him, but he shed his blood so you can be forgiven. And he's the one that deals with you. He's the one today where you know I need to be right with God. That's a free gift died and resurrected so you can say lord i repent but maybe just sitting here today we take a moment to think to consider and then we take some more time to worship and praise him like the god we serve deserves it amen let's focus on the lord church All right, you guys. Well, I hope that was encouraging that you are standing fast, holding fast to the reality of who Jesus is and the faith that we have. I mean, what is this podcast called? Foolishness. It isn't just a title. It isn't just some word in the English language. The Bible says that this message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing the world and unbelievers, but to us, to you and me. And I'll add, amidst the coronavirus, amidst the chaos of your worries, guys, we'll seek first the kingdom of God. 
It's his responsibility to provide and to navigate. But to you and I, we're in Christ. The cross is the power that saves. Thanks for tuning in. I should have a new episode coming up Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's with a buddy of mine, Jeremy Rulo, from the TV show. We connected. We did a load of stuff. Uh, we're eager to get some media out to some people. And thank you to those partners, guys. This is what I do full-time ministry. Missions, marriages, ministry is the ministry statement through the nonprofit. And if you'd like to partner and support, we survive and are able to do this by raising a monthly salary. Go to briansumner.net slash support. It's through a nonprofit. It's all tax deductible. Our calendars are still in place for down the line. They're just getting pushed further and further out, but there's still ministry. We're still occupying until Jesus returns. So don't fret. Don't fear. We're called to trust him. Has his adopted sons and daughters. He's the Abba Father. God bless you guys. Amen. This has been brought to you by the One Story Podcast. Hey, Sonata.